peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And he arose. Oh, this comes from Genesis 32, 22 to 31. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabuk. He took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his sip and the socket of Jacob's sip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be, ja be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And he said, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. In the name of our savior, Jesus, who has called the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, dear friends in Christ. <clears throat> Once a pastor was sitting in his office when there was a knock on the, at the door. A loving mother came in and sat down, face streaked with tears. She said, Pastor, I don't know what's happened. I've always loved my son. son. His entire life, I've been there for him. If there was work to be for him to do, I did it for him. If he wanted something, I bought it for him. I never once disciplined him, even when he was misbehaving. But now he's grown. And I've never known a more bitter, impatient, irresponsible, entitled, and immature man. I just don't understand how this could happen. I gave him everything. The pastor, who had heard this story many times before from many other mothers and fathers, sighed and looked at her with a regretful expression. Yes, he said, you have given her everything. You have given him everything, haven't you? It's true for mothers, but also true for just about any other relationship. When you love someone, you don't want to see them struggle. Children are, unfortunately, the biggest victims of this mindset. It takes a very mature, humble, and selfless love to recognize that there is great benefit to be had through a struggle. And we find no greater example of this perfect love than when we look to the example of God's love for us, which does allow us to struggle as we just read in the account of Jacob wrestling with the Lord. As we ponder what the Lord aims to teach us with this section of scripture, we will consider the theme, 
The Lord loves tough. The Lord graciously appears to Jacob. The Lord patiently wrestles with Jacob. The Lord mercifully disables Jacob. And the Lord lovingly renames Jacob. May the Spirit reveal to us the true love of our Heavenly Father today and enable us to reflect this love in our lives. Firstly, I'd like to take a moment to clarify our theme for today. The point of this text is that the love of our God is a tough love. Not that the Lord loves those who are themselves tough. This is evident by the situation we find Jacob in here in Genesis 32. You remember that Jacob had deceived his father, Isaac, and stole the firstborn blessing from his elder brother, Esau. Esau, when he realized this, was determined to kill Jacob in revenge. And so Jacob fled to his uncle Laban. After he had worked uh, for Laban for 20 years, he left and sent word to Esau to try and reconcile with him. Word came back that Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Jacob understandably terrified, split his company of servants and cattle into groups so that when Esau attacked, at least some of them would be able to escape. Jacob is not a tough guy here. He's a scared guy. He's a guy who believes with pretty good reason that this might be his last night on earth. He's a man whose past iniquity, it seems, has finally caught up with him. And still, the Lord appears to this sniveling weakling, this condemned man. We read verses 22 to 23. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabuk, and took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. The Lord did not appear to Jacob because he was tough or because he deserved help. The Lord graciously appeared to him because he was weak. In the same way, the Lord doesn't come to us because we are strong and admirable. He comes to us in his word because we are weak and sinful. He is not a God of the mighty, but a God of the helpless. Asaph writes in Psalm 82, 3-4, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the father. Oh wait. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. God's presence in our lives is gracious. It is deserved. And then we read that the man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. The New King James capitalizes the word man because this is talking about the second person of the Trinity, that pre-incarnate son of God. Jacob recognized this when he said in verse 30, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. This seems like a pretty puzzling solution 
that the Lord gives to Jacob here in his time of crisis. When everything else going on in his life, we would probably say that we needed an army, not a wrestling partner. We needed an ally, not an adversary. On top of all that, he was struggling against his mind. Now he had to struggle bodily. The Lord's solution to Jacob's trouble was to seemingly pile on more trouble. I bet that sounds familiar, doesn't it? How often have you been struggling, playing for de- praying for deliverance, burning a very short candle at both ends, and the Lord seems to answer your prayers by, almost comically, adding to your burdens. Every fiber of your being says that the solution to hardship is subtraction, not addition. Deliverance means to take away our trials, not to add to them, to give rest, not to rustle. We start to sound a bit like the mother at the beginning of the sermon, don't we? If God truly loves someone, he wouldn't let them struggle like this. If God was listening to my prayers, he would have solved my problems for me by now. But instead, he added to them. What we forget is that wrestling is an important part of our faith life. Struggle is essential to growth. If you've ever exercised, you know this. Running isn't fun. It's a struggle. Lifting weights doesn't make you smile. It makes you grimace. It's the same way when God exercises our faith by wrestling against us. He allows trials and hardships into our lives in love so that we can work out our muscle of faith. Just like a muscle, muscle, faith is something you use or you lose. It isn't a static thing. It is either growing or it is shrinking. If God doesn't allow hardship into your life or or immediately takes away everything upon request, It's the same as a parent who doesn't allow their children the opportunity to struggle, and the result is a lack of growth. Our sinful flesh doesn't want our faith to grow. It wants us to live comfortably, cushy lives that never have reason to worry or fear or cry. But that would not be the loving thing for God to allow. Without his love and wisdom in sending us trials to test and strengthen our faith and trust in him, we would grow to be bitter, impatient, irresponsible, entitled, and immature Christians. And so, God patiently wrestles with us just as he did with Jacob. As Paul preached in Acts 14.22, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And then we see the result of Jacob's wrestling in verse 25. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. The result was that Jacob lost this wrestling match. The Lord was too great a match for him, and he dislocated Jacob's hip. Again, we we scripture disciples the idea that a loving God 
would never allow us to feel pain. If you've ever dislocated a joint, you know that the pain is exquisite. And God does allow us too, at times, to feel that exquisite pain both in body and in soul. This too is an act of God's tough love. The Lord mercifully disabled Jacob's Disabled, sorry, disabled Jacob. Those two words don't really seem to go together, do they? Mercifully and disabled. But what was God's goal in wrestling with Jacob? What is God's goal in wrestling with us? It is nothing else than to strip us of all pride, all self-sufficiency, and all misplaced trust in man and means. When all that we are sinfully tempted to trust in is completely disabled and we are rendered a helpless, pain-stricken, desperate mess on the ground just like Jacob, what do we have left? We have the Lord's mercy. We are led to do as Jacob did in verse 26. And he, the Lord said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Having no other hope, Jacob clung fast to his God. This was not an act of strength, but an act of desperation. It was not a boast of his might, but a confession of his faith. He said, I will not let go unless you bless me. Notice how open ended this request, this prayer of Jacob did is he doesn't say I will not let go unless you send your angel army to defeat Esau he does not say I will not go unless you take away my pain and turmoil what he asked for in God's blessing trusting that whatever shape or form that trust takes will be for his good even if it were to be more pain and turmoil This is the conclusion the Lord leads us to as well through our suffering, especially the suffering of a guilty conscience. The greatest adversary we have is sin. The greatest struggle we face is our transgression against the Lord, which demands suffering and death. And at no other time in the church year than Lent do we consider suffering and death, not our however, but Christ's suffering and death. We can do nothing to combat this pain, painful, shameful enemy, try as we may. And so through the suffering of guilt that the law of God creates in us, we are stripped of any hope in ourselves and left with only one recourse, cling fast to Christ. When despair and doubt reign in our minds about our eternal salvation and God mercifully disables any notion of our own strength. We have no hope but to lay hold of of the cross of Christ where he shed his innocent blood for you and and to exclaim with Jacob, I will not let go unless you bless him. And Christ has blessed us. He has won for us the salvation that stood so far out of our grasp by wrestling for us against sin, 
death, and the devil. In emerging that Easter morning, the unqualified victor over them all. We may be quivering and helpless, but our God is mighty. We may be unworthy sinners, but God has called us redeemed saints. And as a result, he has lovingly changed our name, just as he lovingly changed Jacob's. Verses 27 through 28. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. This is almost a pat on the back for Jacob. Now Israel. Not that he had any strength or might that was praiseworthy, but that he had been led to realize his strength came from the Lord's blessing alone. The greatest blessing God can give is this, that he is our sufficiency, that he gives all that we need in love, whether that be peace or war, plenty or famine, life or death, wrestling or rest. And finally, Jacob asked the name of his sparring partner, to which the Lord responds in verse 29. Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. It was kind of a silly question. We read in the catechism that God's name is everything that describes him and identifies him. His name is riddled throughout the Bible. The I am God. The Lord our Savior righteousness. His name, the, uh, sorry, righteousness. The Father of every good and perfect gift. God with us, and Jehovah saves. If this section also doesn't describe and identify our God in perfect clarity for us, I wonder if anything will. God is not the helicopter parent who instantly erases every trial that comes our way. Rather, it is this text in our, life, our lives we see the truth. The Lord loves tough. He graciously appeared to unworthy Jacob. Just as he appears to unworthy me in his word, he patiently wrestled with Jacob, just as we patiently wrestle with us to wear down our sinful pride. He mercifully disabled Jacob, just as he mercifully disables in us any thought of working out our own deliverance through the law. And just as he lovingly renamed Jacob, he renamed us as well. No longer enemies of God, but children and heirs of eternal life. May we rejoice with a thorn in the flesh Apostle Paul when we face trials and hardships, knowing that through, him, through them, the Lord is training our faith and strengthening our faith in him as our almighty and ever-loving Father even when that love is tough. As the apostle recalls in 2 Corinthians 12, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, 
I pleased with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in need, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In Jesus' saving name, amen. <laughs>